great news from Sprint. The wait is finally over. The new Samsung Galaxy Note 10 with the powerful S Pen has arrived at Sprint, and you can get it for 50% off with a Sprint Flex lease. That's right. Get the power of performance and productivity of the Galaxy Note 10 for less than $20 per month. There's never been a better time to switch. To learn more, visit your local Sprint store, sprint.com slash Galaxy Note 10, or call 800-SPRINT-1 today. $19.79 a month after $19.80 monthly credit applied with two bills with approved credit 18-month lease and new line of service. If canceled, literally remain balance due. Exclusive tax coverage and offer not available everywhere. Third activation fee restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, brought to you by the Turnstile Network. My name's Ian McNally. And I'm Justin Price. And in this uh, very special second part edition of the World Cup special, are we still going to spin the wheel? Uh, no. Come on. Right. It's the name of the podcast. You, you brought it, so you might as well use this one. <laughs> I can't but believe again, that. It's still got the stickers on from last week, which just says World Cup written on everything. Yeah, and it, it's the, yeah, all the categories that the outcome is certain, but we yeah. in we're... probability terms, it's hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and I feel like almost in tribute to FIFA. I'm not saying that they've had any dealings they deal with uncertainty all of the time particularly uh where draws are considered uh, in terms of you know taking balls out of glass balls and the like as platini has recently uh, talked that, about but about that just very quickly before we get started there's been that uh rumor for years that some of the balls are heated and some of the balls are freezing you know like so they can work out which one? It, but when I thought about that, I thought, yeah, but that's easy to do, but still you're going to get warm and cold and then you can't work out. Really, let's just be honest. It could just be any balls. They could just, they don't tell you what's on them. They, 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 you know they, what I mean? They could just. But have you ever seen someone put their hand in and like drop oh. drop it straight away because it's too hot? <laughs> put the fingers in the mouth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> too hot. That would be the best. Yeah, you just need to get like they do a magician. You know, they just get a member of the public out. Just have a, <laughs> a, a bit of a swirl. A stooge. Yeah. It's, you know. Um, yeah, it's landed on World Cup, by the way. <laughs> so, we'd, we started with our last episode with a countdown from 10 to 6. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to do 5, 4, 3, Top 2, five. 1. Top 5. I don't know whether we don't doing... need to count down. You're not a primary school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure our listeners can count down from five to one. That's all right. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't know how many astronauts are listening. That's the problem. They're very good at it as well. So we should um, get started with um, the fifth a World Cup moment, which like I didn't realise it at the time because this is actually from. Um, a World Cup. My first World Cup memory is. I thought you were going to say your first World Cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been a fix by FIFA like, if I was just in a World Cup playing on my own. But you know, I I, I think um, this is quite a special one because it was World Cup Italia '90, and World Cup Italia '90 is like very special. But it's a particular game in World Cup Italia '90. But just to kind of paint the picture, the World Cup Italia '90 was. There was such a a romance about it because football was in quite a dark place at the time. It is Italy as well. Yeah. It's a romantic place. But yeah, exactly. And like the idea that you're like playing in stadiums and then 
going for a walk as Trevi Fountain afterwards. So. The one in Venice was a bit waterlogged, but <laughs> apart from that, it was all right. <laughs> but this is it, like the stadiums and stuff, like we have never seen the like of it before. The Coliseum. Yeah, the Coliseum. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the lion running around was a bit of a problem but yeah. at our time. Good good <laughs> entertainment though. Well, England, it was three lions. But the uh, the problem the problem with football at the time obviously was that it it undergone like you know some major disasters in terms of fans, but also it it, uh, it had this kind of really bad image because of hooliganism and all stuff like that. And Italy was people were like treating it like it was the theatre and if you're going along and, and like a lot of women were watching a lot of children would go along they're all in suits they're they're well dressed yeah they're like they're you know they're eat, having a, a nice glass of wine and a meal at the on the piazza and then going to the game i mean this is it's you better than go for for buying chips and four pints i've got to <laughs> and like um it was colourful, wasn't it? It was a colourful World Cup. Yeah, and that was exactly what football at the time wasn't. And the other thing was is that the BBC, um, uh, when they were covering it, the theme tune was by Pavarotti. And, like, you're talking about, like, this is a sport in the UK, in the doldrums, like, it's really struggling. We and all of Gazza a sudden... playing, he was about as fat as Pavarotti. <laughs> by the way, Gazza in that World Cup amazing yeah, he had a good time amazing he really did. and that was the last world cup he ever played in 23 years old i think he was because then he turned into pavarotti yeah. <laughs> well, he was like to to think about like the football was then being elevated to you know having pavarotti do the opening theme it's just it's just the best and this game like almost so what's the game anyway so Go, it sums yeah. it up to me like this game because it was argentina like uh, obviously former World Cup winners, uh, very distinguished South American heavyweights against the Cameroon, <laughs> the, the Cameroon, <laughs> the Cameroon, who were just like their kit was just exceptional. Like Cameroon, actually, uh, they they had only had the first World Cup in 1982, and in this World Cup they got to the quarterfinals, but they're playing against Argentina. They have no chance, but. The beauty about this game is that they're so their style of play is so unorthodox. They're actually really difficult to play against because if you're playing against a team equivalent skill in Argentina, it I mean there's not there's very few teams who could match Argentina one on one, but Cameroon just very difficult to contain because they were so unpredictable. Like each player was played in this kind of gangly weird fashion but it was all seemed really smooth once it got together i can imagine their team talk it basically was just like junior football where they just went just go out and play do what you want <laughs> yeah and they, they did of, and they but they you could tell each one and played with such character and heart and like that you know if they can't match argentina for skill man they beat them like on every other level in terms of passion and and uh, just desire because they got a man sent off fairly early doors and then with 10 men they managed to score like again you watch the goal like it's just this weird like the ball gets crossed in the first player hits it like he's got a leg made out of play-doh and it just kind of loops up and then the guy just jumps so high
And uh, it was a great goal. Well, you've got to remember, Argentina, they're defending champions. They're playing the camera. Like, do you think of the resource Argentina would have, like training facilities, the hotel they're staying in, and they're playing against one of the poorest nations on earth. It's like, it's the most remarkable David and Goliath. And it, it, to, to kind of see how erratic and unpredictable Cameroon are, they did go on to um, beat Romania 2-1. And then lost to the Soviet Union 4-0. <laughs> it's like just this brilliant... And, and they had, uh, they had you know, um, Roger Miller playing for them. Yeah, He's number like, nine up front. Like yeah. 38 or something at the time. Well, that's what he, he said his age was. <laughs> yeah, who knows? This yeah. again, like, there was, he did know have, have no bet. He did know have no birth certificates. <laughs> so the moment for me in this game, which really sticks in my mind, which is going to be the fifth moment is the tackle on Kinija who is apparently he's quite a bad bloke in real life but a great player like a unbelievable player for yeah, Argentina he was a fantastic dribbler of the ball wasn't he and yeah. he did it at such pace that he was you know yeah, such a talent that way his close control and also like his ruthless attitude as well which probably made him not a great person to be around off the pitch apparently um, particularly when he was in played in his later years in the uh, MLS in the US um, but there's a moment where he he breaks loose on a counter-attack and a Cameroon player comes and like just tries to sidewipe him like take him out completely but Kanija just rides the tackle beautifully and then another player comes in and says, hey, well, he didn't get you, but I'm going to. And again, Kanija just rides the tackle. But at this point, Kanija ends up like riding the tackle. But such is his pace and his forward propulsion. He kind of, he ends up with his head down. <laughs> so he's about to run into a scrum. But his legs are still freewheeling. And he stays in that for about 20 metres. And then, here we go. Here's the Cameroon player, the last tackle. And completely cleans him out. <laughs> he, he cleans him out to the extent that the Cameroon player actually loses his own boot in the tackle. His boot comes going, off. But here's Kanija. He's hurdled past one. He's got past another in the last minute of this game. In goes smashing. Oh, and he won't get past that challenge. And the referee surely will do something about that. And a brutal assault it was on Claudio Canigio. The Cameroon player just wipes him out, loses his own boot. But as he's in the aftermath, the Argentinian players are livid with him. And the Cameroon player just nonchalantly picks up his own boot and starts unlacing it to put it back on. And one of the Argentinian players, walking over to the scene of the crime, sly stamp on his barefoot and I thought you know what I'm glad Cameroon just for that one instance I'm glad Cameroon beat you and they've got that in their history now like they almost did England in the quarterfinals as well and they were uh, exciting to watch but uh, they couldn't tackle though <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they really couldn't tackle could they 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 you know there's a few you know where they kick people in the chest that sort of stuff you know where you think to yourself the ball's on the floor mate you know <laughs> It's hard, though, to see, like, the nature of the way they played. It's hard to say they were being, like, you know, purposely violent. I just, 
but they were. <laughs> I'm just willing to forgive them everything because they that's my formative memory of the World Cup was these amazing African men playing in this amazing kit and just doing the unexpected. It was so exciting and number that's number five that's number in the five. countdown. So number four in our countdown of the World Cup moments comes from uh, 2006. Germany. Germany World Cup final. Berlin. Berlin, yeah. S- seen some uh, interesting sporting events over the years. It has. And uh, this one wasn't that interesting, to be honest. This game, I remember it very well. And um, not for the football. It was it was a rubbish game. Oh, it's a terrible game. So it's between Italy and France. I sort of remember sitting there in 2006 sort of predicting what the game was going to be like. I think people were hoping that the because uh, it was a World Cup final that like something flurry would happen and it just it just didn't so it didn't in that way. However, it's it produced a moment that's still one of my favorite World Cup moments. It I, really did. I don't know if it's my fa- like I don't know if favorite would be the right word. Like definitely most memorable for me. I feel quite sad about this moment as well. But tell us what it is. So so it comes it comes from two players, right? There's Zidane, French captain, right? What, coming towards the end of his career as well, but still brilliant. Mm. You know, it's still brilliant. Zidane all the way through. You know, I think he won he won the World Cup Player of the Year. Uh, sorry, World Player of the Year many times and things like that. So brilliant player. And Ma- uh, Matarazzi. Yeah, Marco Matarazzi, who uh, amongst others played for Everton. He did. So he mu- he must be good. <laughs> yeah, he must. He played for Everton, and um, he he but he was like the the master of shutting it again. He was a niggler of a centre back. And he really, you know, like he really would upset a lot of people the way he played the game. That's just the way he was. I think he's one of those players as well, like Premier League clubs sign just so they can make a bit more money on the names on the back of people's shirts. You know, when people <laughs> go in a club shop and they have to, you think they, they charge you by the letter, don't they? And they, I reckon they, you know, Schwarzenegger. <laughs> they, they might have done. They might have done. They never know. Everton at that point probably did. Yeah. yeah. But Zidane scores a penalty in this game, right? But the penalty comes from a Matarazzi challenge, mm. right? It's a foul for that he gives away in the penalty area that gives Zidane a chance to put France uh, in front. Very early on, seven minutes into the, into the game. So to get that sort of start in a World Cup final is just, you know. And Zidane does it beautifully as he does, just under underside of the bar. It's Zidane here. Italy then get an equaliser, and it's Matarazzi <laughs> who gets Italy's equaliser uh, on 19 minutes. So it's 1-1. One, one. These two guys have already had a massive influence in such a big game. Isn't it weird that that happens? It seems to happen so often in, in uh, football. I don't know. 
any other sport where this happens so re- like frequently. But you know, sometimes a player scores an own goal, and then that same player scores for his team, like as as though he's really trying to like level it up. Plays up front for the last twenty. Yeah, years. it's just like and and Maserati's done this. He's given away a penalty like in the first ten minutes, and but then he scored. So they're they're all level now. Oh, le- yeah, them. everything's level, like in the world. And he's little, yeah, he's like karma and right. like yin and yang. Everyone's relaxed. Yeah. So so he got so this game basically becomes that stalemate then. So it's one one, and it stays that stalemate all the way through the ninety minutes, and we end up going into extra time, and then we're basically heading towards penalties. Everyone can see it. The Dennis is an issue where Zidane is jogging back and Maserati's talking to him and he's also grabbing his shirt, right? Mm. And you see, you see them like having a bit of a go at one another and grabbing his shirt. And you, we don't know what's going on. You can't because you can't hear what's going on, but they're obviously talking to one another. It's not a tussle though, is it? They no, still no. seem quite calm and like relaxed about it. They're just like they're just jogging back and like you can see him grabbing his shirt and then Zidane turns around and then something's said. And then something else is said by them. And then the Dazan just carries on, just carries on running away. I wouldn't say it looked like they were flirting, but there was definitely like an element of like... Yeah, flirting would be a bit too far. If that's your <laughs> idea of flirting, Ian, we've got big, <laughs> big problems. Uh, because, yeah, it wouldn't be classed as flirting. <laughs> but they're having a bit of a toy fight. That's what it looks like. They're having a bit, you know, it's not like exactly that. You know, like there's nothing really to it, really. But Zidane jogs on, right? And then all of a sudden, Zidane just he gets about probably two metres away from him. And then Zidane just turns around and just headbutts him clean in the chest. <laughs> and Maserazzi just, he jumps on the floor and rolls around like he's been snipered. Zidane, the captain of France in a World Cup final, is Whoa. sent from the field. What's going on here? There's something's happened here. The Italian players are making a protest, and Buffon's come out as well. Well, there's Zinazine to Dan. Oh, and he, well, well, he, he's just headed Materazzi in the middle of the chest. What was Zidane thinking of? Elizondo's come to the side of the field to talk to the fourth official, and it's going to be a red card, and it is a red card for Zidane. Zidane is off in his final game, and that is the end of his career. He's only the fourth person in history ever to get set off in a World Cup final, so uh, it was quite astounding as well. When you watch it, it's quite astounding to see how... Like, he does do it for... He doesn't... First of all, to headbutt someone in the chest is a disappointment to me. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's like, if you're going to get sent off on that stage and you want to hurt somebody, don't headbutt them in the chest. You're going to hurt yourself more. It was it was a strange. It just looked strange as well. Like he just thrust his head really hard, but low as well. Like obviously, you feel like I feel like in Zidane's defense, maybe he didn't want to hurt Matarazzi. Maybe he just wanted to put something. Maybe he was just frustrated or annoyed at him, and he just put his head on him. You know what I mean? So, but it was an odd. It was an odd sending off, and also you know it's a World Cup final, mate. <laughs> like. It's just insane. But from Italy's point of view, they've lo- France have just lost their best penalty taker and their captain. It's a bit of a boost to your confidence in it and your morale. And also the fact that Matarati was 
trying to antagonise Zidane because he perhaps knew that Zidane... I think it was the 14th sending off in Zidane's career to that point. He he did have a short fuse. So maybe Matarazzi's game plan was to play on that short fuse and it worked out a treat. Oh, and also, he just got headbutted in the chest. <laughs> so I like... He's took one for the team and he's also just took one a bruised chest. That's I all he's taken. Almost don't know what that would feel. You know, like whether it would it even hurt? Like we'll give it a go off her. <laughs> it's just like we'll be out walking. We'll go for a coffee and you just stop, turn around and run into the chest. How weird is it? It's like so bizarre. Bizarre. But Unfortunately, like that, it, it, it just changed the game for me because it goes to penalties and uh, Italy win on penalties. And, uh, you know, if Zidane's on the pitch, maybe he scores one, but uh, France misses a penalty. I think Trezeguet misses his penalty and that's it. Um, they lose 5-3 on penalties. Now, I know there was a lot of debate about what was actually said. Matarazzi said to Zidane to provoke him. But what basically happened was, or what Matarazzi said actually happened after a while, he came out and basically said, this is what I said. Because there was loads of rumours about what got said. Well, it's kind of less than rumours. There was three British tabloids who apparently had employed a lip reader, a professional lip reader, to see no, what Matarazzi had said. <laughs> they just got some bloke just to re- try and watch it again and again and again. Like, the idea, the, these... British tabloids have difficulty writing in their own language, never mind understanding lip read in someone else's language. And then uh, they did print something. Now, Matarazzi actually took them to court and won libel uh, against them because they'd met, they were saying that he'd said something about Zidane's mother, who was ill at the time. And um, Matarazzi strongly defended this. And then came out with what he actually did say. Yeah, which it was to be fair. Like I like how he tried to differentiate between how bad they were, <laughs> <laughs> because what happened was he's tugging on the shirt with Zidane as he runs back, and Zidane says turns to him and says, "If you want me shirt, I'll give it to you after the game." See, that's quite funny, isn't it? That's quite witty. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? See, I didn't think Zidane was that funny. He looks too serious to be like to have a quip in him. Yeah, but Matarazzi. As Zidane walks away, turns around and says, I prefer the whore that is your sister. Now, that's a direct quote, isn't it? That is what Matarazzi owned up to saying. Now, even if it was about his mum, <laughs> that's still pretty harsh, isn't it? <laughs> like, it seems like a weird thing to say as well. Zidane's saying, you're talking on my shirt. I'll give you this after the game if you want it. No, I want your whore of a sister. <laughs> like, it's it, His sister's not. A French shirt. And if you've listened to our Cantona uh, episode, there is a theme here with French people. It's just staggering to see like someone snap out on that stage on the in the World Cup final. So I suppose I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to have it almost in the list of top 10 moments, but it kind of has to be, doesn't it? It's just such if a thing. If you freak. watch the World Cup, you've got to watch that clip. So third in the countdown. For me, this is just such a a joyous and special moment in World Cup history and kind of just in world history. I think this is so amazing. It's it's North Korea beating Italy 1-0 in 1966 World Cup. And to kind of put it into context, North Korea, obviously there's been the Korean War and there's talk North Korea managed to qualify for the 66 World Cup, which is obviously held in, in England. And there's a real worry about should the North Koreans even be allowed in. So this is a real special moment because 
despite all of the difficulties around it, the North Korean team managed to get to London and their, their group games are going to be played in the Northeast because they wanted somewhere as close as their experience in North Korea. So they thought, well, we send them to the Northeast of England to Sunderland and uh, Middlesbrough because it kind of is closest to North Korea as possible. They got into the country and first they didn't know how the North Korean team would be received because of the war and everything. Obviously, public opinion would be quite against the North Koreans even being in the country. They're the enemy. So, it's not their fault. They're just kicking the ball around, these lads. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, I imagine a fair few have done national service as well. <laughs> yeah, on the side. <laughs> on the side. <laughs> to be fair, they get strong out all that, don't they? On the side, yeah. So... They got the train up from London up to the northeast, and there's something about this North Korean team which is like so spirited and just enjoying the moment of being at the World Cup that they sang all the way on the train from London and like com- completely bemused English travellers seeing the you know it's these four hours there the, four hours yeah. of singing oh how many pop songs have they got in North Korea <laughs> I think they were you know songs about how North Korea was going to be triumphant in, oh, in okay. many respects right, and yeah. like, you know, singing about mythical heroes and, and that type Very of thing. Very national front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> national front. <laughs> That's what they were. <laughs> and so um, one of the key things I think to this story is that the training ground was on the factory grounds of ICI, which is a chemical plant in the Northeast, which then employ 30,000 people. Wow. So, that was kind of key because the workers at the ICI plants would watch, you know, on the lunch break and stuff, would watch them train. and On the car park? Not like on the fields. This is the days when factories actually provided the workers with, with more than, yeah, with facilities and like, you know, gave them like a social club and cheap beer and nice playing grounds and stuff. And they actually had factory club teams and things like that. So... North Koreans, they're all like little pocket dynamos. They were just tremendously fit, really spirited. And probably, you know, in terms of the word team, nothing gets a team together than communism. (laughs) Like you've got this unique cocktail of ingredients that just makes this like into a really special moment. And then they're drawn against Italy. Now, Italy, a previous, at this point in 66, they've won the World Cup a couple of times before, uh, m- notably under Mussolini. Maybe there's a theme in this. Get say, it, yeah. <laughs> Democracy is not the way to win World Cups. <laughs> not good old training, isn't it? I don't think the Italian team to this point had ever played against such a tenacious, like, wonderfully fit a vivacious team as the North Koreans. The The Italy game was very special because they played at Erson Park, which now was Middlesbrough's stadium, which is now no longer exists. It's now a housing estate, which actually they have a, a, a monument to where the North Korean player would have kicked the ball into the goal for their goal against Italy. That won them that game. Someone's front room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> People come in to have a look at it. Just move away to the side and we're trying to watch the TV. Well, is this where he kicked the ball? Yeah, I know he kicked the ball there, mate. But this happens every week. Can you just get out of the way? <laughs> you just imagine someone vacuuming yeah. and hit, hitting into that monument every time. And that's the, the thing is, is, it's special because 
they beat Italy, but and it's a giant killing. But the thing that really turned this into a true great World Cup moment and a great world moment was how dearly the people of Middlesbrough took the team to their hearts. To the point, at the end of the game, they were cheering and clapping them and uh, when they were around town, people beating the car horns and all. And when they progressed out of the group stage and they played in at Goodison Park in Liverpool, Everton's ground, they played to a packed house. 3,000 people from Middlesbrough travelled to watch North Korea because they'd adopted them as their own team. And on that day, they went 3-0 up against Portugal, which, dare I say, has Eusebio in their team. 3-0 up they were. They lost 5-3. We won't, <laughs> we won't dwell that. on that. But again, just just brilliant. Like, And I really hope that with the World Cup has more of these moments in store because to beat all the odds to have that political grey cloud hanging over you being at this World Cup and in this foreign country and for them just to take it so wonderfully in terms of like their passion, their smiling faces and... You know, so much of modern sport, you have these teams playing at World Cup under great stress or expectation, and you can see the nerves of playing. North Korea were the opposite of that. They absolutely, you tell they loved being there, they loved playing together, and they bloody beat Italy. So, North Korea, you deserve to be in this top list, comrades, I'm with you. Two points. <laughs> So tell us, number two. Number two comes from the magician, the man, Diego Maradona. Diego. Diego. Love him or hate him. Uh, I love him, particularly. I think he's a great player. Uh, but I understand people hating him. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably l- hate a strong word. Uh, I think some of his family do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, uh, let's say, his, his great playing uh, is tarnished somewhat by... Lots of different antics on and off the field. Yeah. But let's stick on the field for this one. On the one. field. So it's got to... Look, I'm, I'm pretty sure that people, uh, who, if they if they know their football, will know this. And that is the hand of God. Has to be has to be in any World Cup countdown. And it comes in at number two in ours. Because even though it was against England, that's not, that's not the reason. 1986 World Cup. It's Mexico... It's a fun World Cup. Like, this game is something like 115,000 people in the game. It's like modern stadiums cannot do that, but somehow they packed them in. And do you remember they had that like big spider on the pitch in this game as well? Because they they had this uh, like a network of like wires uh, uh, on top of the, uh, oh, the yeah, stand they have that now, yeah. for the for the overhead camera. Yeah, but it just cast a shadow like a big tarantula on on the field. <laughs> which is like quite sc- it's quite scary, really, when you look back. Maybe for me, well, you were a young child, yeah, nine eighties. Well, I was, yeah, I was three. Yeah, <laughs> so, so to you, really... it would have been terrifying. <laughs> but it was a big game, this as well. Like you know, uh, England Argentina. It's an important game. And we, can we just mention that there is a little bit of spice that it's like what is it? Four years after the Falklands War. We'll leave it there, but that definitely adds a bit of nationalistic uh a bit of niggle yeah 
a, a little bit of a yeah the, the waters have been muddied somewhat i suppose it comes back to this thing as well maradona he's a he's a winner isn't he i mean he's he wants to win no matter what the cost and so i don't think he needs to think twice about this incident that happens because whenever he gets a ball at his feet it's it's captivating. He's it's on exciting. Fire. He's on fire. He's absolutely His brilliant. swagger. And even in this goal, that obviously the hand of God goal, right, that he gets, he gets criticised for it. He does get criticised, a lot of criticism for it. In the build-up, he still does things brilliantly, even in the build-up to this goal. Like, he, he literally picks it up about 20 yards from goal, and he walks past three defenders before playing a ball into a striker's feet before he gets the ball. And the ball then gets flicked on from an England defender. Right, it just gets flicked up over his head, and then the ball. He does hit it weird. Is it uh, Steve Hodge? Is it? He just he hits the ball with his foot, but it's he, it's like he's got a Toblerone in his boot. <laughs> it just comes off at a weird angle towards Peter Shilton. Like oh, it's pretty much on the penalty spot, isn't yeah, it? It just loops up. Just the ball and just loops up into the air. Peter Shilton, who's goalkeeper for England, is Top I thought goalkeeper. a tremendous yeah. goalkeeper and nice man as well. Which counts for a lot. <laughs> it's nice to be important, but more important to be nice. Well done, Peter. Now, this ball is is all day. He's, he, I think he's like something like eight inches taller than Maradona. He's, yeah. He's way bigger, and he can use his arms. So this ball is Shilton's all day. Fair enough, he's got to race off his line and pluck it out the air. But Maradona's chasing it in. Yeah, There's he, no he, way he can get to this ball over Shilton. He's definitely fa- his goalkeeper's favourite to get that ball. <laughs> but I think Maradona weighs that up. He definitely weighs that up. Maradona just walked away from Hoddle then. Maldado. They're appealing for offside. But the little man who started it by walking past Glenn Hoddle. That's where the ball came from, Hodge. Maradona had continued the run forward. And the goal is given. Uh, what point was he offside, or was it a use of the hand that England are complaining about? Could he have just headed this ball? Could he have headed it? Like it, it is a matter of maybe a cut. It comes down to a couple of inches. Where Maradona's gone, I'm not going to make that ball. He just puts his left arm next to his head mm. and pushes it up a couple of inches, so he makes sure that he makes contact with his fist. Instead of his head, it look if you and I, I felt for like some people said, How do the referee not spot this? It's very difficult to spot it when you first watch it. If you don't know about it, of course, you don't, everybody knows about it. But say you didn't know about it, it does look like he heads it. It does look like he heads it. I tell you, who did see what had happened, Peter Shilton, because <laughs> as soon as the ball goes in, like even it hasn't even gone in the goal, Peter Shilton, he's actually gesturing like it was closer to his elbow, like that he hits it in with his elbow. But Shilton is just patting his arm, like to say to the referee or linesman, someone must have seen that because to Shilton, it must have been so obvious because it's right in front of him. He makes me laugh because he runs off and not all these teammates stop as well. For a second, I think because of the maybe the England protests, I don't know, or maybe they've seen it from their angles they're at. But... They don't. They don't celebrate with him. They sort of, like there's a couple of them who go over towards him as he runs. He runs off towards the fans straight away. Like he, 
he, he, I think at this point, like Maradona knows what he's done, and he's like, he's in sell mode. He's going, I'll sell this goal, <laughs> right, as best I can. And what you got to do is you got to go full tilt, so I'll run to the halfway line, like to the fans, and I'll celebrate like I've just obviously scored a massive, important goal, which it was, right. And I won't even look back. I won't look at a linesman. I won't look at a referee. I won't look at Peter Shilton, who's screaming at the top of his voice. I'll just run off towards the fans. He, he, I think he actually is, has been since quoted as saying that he was saying to the other Argentinian players, come and hug me or they won't give the goal. <laughs> it's like to have that presence of mind as well and to like run off and be like straight away, as you sell, say, selling the goal. It actually... I think there's not enough of this in sport in terms of sportsmen thinking a bit more about that side of the game of how to actually, you know, it's actually the psychological part. And he does that in spades. If we won a World Cup by cheating, I don't care. We won a World Cup. <laughs> in the day, it's in the history books, isn't it? Like, in the day that he got, he got Argentina through to the final, didn't he? That's what he did. They did win it that year. Yeah, and they went on to win. And that goal, right, is important because without that goal, they don't go through and they don't get to the World Cup final and they don't win the World Cup. So he sold it. And I've got to be honest, when you watch it again, it is it is a fantastic World Cup moment, even though it is cheating. It's just a great moment, I think. It, it's a fascinating moment. What's fascinating for me and what probably makes it is the way he sells it after, straight after. But then in the press conference afterwards, it's actually Maradona himself who said something along the lines of, I hit it with a bit of my head and a bit of the hand of God. Now, he actually coined that himself. <laughs> like, it wasn't... You no, know, normally these things are like a headline in the newspaper the next day, the hand of God. But it was Maradona who... He not only sold it during the game, he marketed it afterwards. <laughs> like, he, a part of me thinks Maradona was in the wrong business. <laughs> he, he could have been in the White House. <laughs> he was thinking of little cartoon figures afterwards that he was going to sell in boxes with little, little hand of God's oh, just, figurines. Yeah. Tremendous. So we've come all this way. We've gone down from 10 all the way to two. We've only got one left. For me, there's so many good World Cup moments, so many great World Cup moments, but this is one, it was a goal, and this 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 goal won a big game from a very special player again. And which player is it? And which game? It's Diego Maradona again. <laughs> And it's the same game. It's the 1986 England-Argentina game in which he'd scored the hand of God and then went on to score what is often being called the goal of the century. Goal of the century. And and the thing is about this, I think to myself sometimes, maybe a bit tongue-in-cheek, but if he had not scored the one with his fist, would he have gone on to score this goal? Had the confidence gone through him then that you know he could do anything in this game? And it, it was gonna, it was gonna, it was gonna succeed because it's just an amazing goal. So, to, like, let's. I want to revel in this. It's number one. It is number one. Can we? Uh, can you talk us through? Maradona basically picks it up, fifteen yards up in his own half, right? And he's got two England players on his back, and he's got his back to the English goal. He does a pivot turn with the ball to towards his left. 
and a burst of pace to get away. And he manages to get past three outfield players. He passes Peter Beardsley. Then he goes past Peter Reid. And then Terry Butcher is one of England's best defenders, right? Really solid defender. Really, you know, no holds barred. And it's a time when you can tackle Ian, right? <laughs> you can put a proper tackling in these days, right? He walks past Terry Butcher. He basically, he goes towards his right, right? And then he flips the ball left. And that Terry Butcher's just burnt, just gone. Just absolutely. <laughs> so he looks like he's treading water. It looks like he's going backwards, right? <laughs> treading water. He just goes, just flips it to right. And then out comes the goalkeeper, Shilton. And as we've said before, right, at number two, one of the best goalkeepers. And he puts he puts he puts Peter Shilton down on his backside. Just looks like he's gonna shoot, a little shimmy, goes round the goalkeeper, and then just slides it into an empty net with his left foot. We haven't been able to control the play in midfield. Way that Maradona has been able to do. And he's hurting England again here. It's a brilliant run. It's one of the World Cup great goals. And there's no doubt about that one. Like all of these amazing goals, it looks so easy. And it's hard to imagine that he's actually playing against some really good players like in that England team and some players who are very, very good professionals and he makes it look like he's a grown man playing against little boys. Like They it look take, like kids. It takes him around about 10 seconds from the moment he picks the ball up in his own half to putting the ball into an empty net. Right? That's how... You think about that, right? He's, he's run 60 yards. He's run 60 yards with the ball at his feet with defenders sprawling all around. They're like, the defenders are chasing him down. It's not like he's through on goal with no one around. He beats five or six players with pure, with pure pace and ability to put that ball into the net. It's just an, ama- it's an amazing goal, and it's it's definitely number one. For yeah, him. And that, that whole thing of, like you're saying, uh, 10 seconds, like you and I would probably find it hard to run that distance in 10 seconds without a football and without an opposition team trying to take you down. I need a coffee break. (laughs) The the funny thing about this this goal as well is that part of it's come off the back of the hand of God, which is kind of the work of the devil. And then he's just done the work of an angel. That kind of encapsulates who Diego Maradona is. And what he also became, like this whole, this ability of his human nature to do something malign and then something so joyous and wonderful, like in the same game. He has actually said after the, the game, he's like complimented the English team for their fair play. He said that uh, he, he doesn't think he'd be able to score that goal against any other team because they would have just knocked him over. Yeah. And he said... Uh, we should have knocked him over. Yeah. <laughs> he said, they're probably the most noblest team in the world. And that when you read like words like that, like how he's complimenting the English team on their nobility, and he's still willing to punch the ball. In the- <laughs> Talk about kicking someone when they're down, you know. But that goal, as you said, uh, in terms of its brilliance, in terms of his balance, in terms of his speed, in terms of his footwork, and then also, as you know, the... the the level of the game you're at, the composure when he gets in there to then just walk it around the goalkeeper and and, and tuck it in. Yeah, because he could have actually put... finished it. in uh, When Shilton runs out, he could have just popped it in the other corner, but 
I think there's something in him that actually respect first off respected Chilton uh, because he was such a good goalkeeper, but also that he thinks I've got one more trick left of me. You know, like even though there's still defenders around him, it's still high pressure. He just does another little jink and then he's like thinking to himself, "Well, I've walked round six of them. I might as well walk round seven. <laughs> And there's there's like a lovely uh, I've seen this lovely montage where they've like taken a picture of every twist and turn that he does on this every player he beats, and it, it's a bit like uh, a Catholic church where they have the Stations of the Cross. And there's a little story behind every Jesus's trip, <laughs> and it's almost a bit. It reminds me of that. You could analyze this goal time and again and still partly not really make sense of it because it just doesn't happen like it just I think if he would if he'd scored it against a lesser team as well then it, it would have devalued it but the fact that he scored against a, a very good if England scored team, against the current England team then we would be like all right mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. but this team was a decent side yeah and what well, I think it's really apt that we kind of end on just a moment of just sheer joy and uh, probably uh the the biggest joy is uh, comes through the voice of uh, the uruguayan co- uh, journalist commentator uh, victor hugo morales uh <laughs> is yeah. poetic so, thank you brilliant. For, thank you for listening to our world cup countdown i hope you enjoyed it i hope you're enjoying the world cup right now as well and uh we'll leave you with uh this great piece of commentary yeah, thanks for listening to The Wheel of Sport. Join us for the next episode. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Ian. Here's Victor Hugo Morales. Go! <laughs> Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%, APR 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. 8.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 33.